Hey there, everybody. This is your host, Raja, and we're having another episode, episode four of the Populist Report. And today it's going to be a very special wrestling-centric uh, episode just because we're going to get into some more labor stuff. But I always find that, for me at least, I can get the best analogies and kind of like real sort of descriptors um, of like these situations that the greater labor market faces uh, that we have here in America. But I, I realized that I can best like depict it and illustrate it using like the wrestling world and like their work situation, um, especially with the bigger national companies like WWE really, that's about the biggest national company. So in saying all that, um, yeah, I hope you guys don't get too lost in the weeds with this one. I know for more of the political centric folk who aren't really into wrestling, this one's going to seem kind of out there for some of the wrestling folk. Um, they might not really care about the political side of it, or it just might be a farther outtake than what, you know, than what might be normally said in the wrestling community talk stuff. But I'm looking here to find a nice happy middle to satisfy everybody. Uh, and saying all that, sitting here with my cup of coffee and let's get into it. So the first thing I wanted to talk about, just kind of laying everything out labor-wise, um, I obviously want to talk about unions, and that's a big thing for wrestling, um, or more or less the struggle to get one. And it, it goes all the way back to like the Jesse Ventura era, um, with him in the WWF in like the early 80s and stuff like that. And really like the story of Jesse Ventura basically finding out that Hulk Hogan ratted him out to Vince McMahon about union talks amongst the boys. Um, that's kind of really reminiscent to current day like the Bessemer, Alabama, Amazon workers trying to unionize, uh, trying to get the vote and all that stuff to just even start the process. And just as they were picking up momentum, it was, you know, sort of stepped out basically um, by the higher ups there. And in a very similar situation, in a very similar situation, we have that with the WWE um, at that time where Hulk Hogan rats you out to Vince McMahon and basically all union talks were stopped. Um, and so for a long time before that and especially after that, union talks weren't really a thing because like the nature of the sort of industry, like wrestling promotions were kind of ran on a shoestring most of the time um, during what they called territory days. A lot of them were shoestring sort of ran in the startup. And then as it progressed, they just, you know, you never move past that point um, of restructuring your business financially and how you deal with your, you know, how, how you would deal with the wrestlers basically. Um, and in saying that, taking it to like the broader market, most companies, that start up and then end up expanding 
they never really take the time to readjust how they're dealing with, you know, their, their, uh, employees, like financially, they never, you know, renegotiate or reconstruct, um, the sort of like pay structure that they have going on. You know, you don't really see a lot of that. It's normally whatever it was set at the start or within that, like starting, you know, five to 10 year period, that's probably what it's going to be like for the rest of its existence. Um, and so saying all that, you know, that's why you have the situation you have with a company like the WWE and how they treat and how like the pay is negotiated with their wrestlers now. And now even in saying that though, like this is a bit of like wrestling history stuff. Um, The wrestlers before what is called the national expansion, that's basically when the WWE went out in like that early eighties period and consumed basically all these other wrestling territories and promotions that have been around the country. Um, They basically ate up all the top wrestling promotions and they destroyed the NWA, which was the national wrestling Alliance. Um, Or they didn't destroy it because it's still around today, but they greatly devalued the name of it, making WWE American wrestling. You know, they, they, in all reality, just monopolized the market. But um, before before the national expansion, the pay structures were a little different, and it kind of depended on your promoters. But you saw things like, depending on the gate, wrestlers at different, you know, levels of draw, like, what is going to get a little complicated. But basically, you would have a gate to your live events. And so however much the gate made, you know, your, your top guys, your superstars – um, they might have been entitled to a particular percentage, but then like the overall, you know, the roster or not even the roster, but the guys on that show, the there's a certain percentage delegated to just all of them that gets broken down for each individual and, you know, teams, managers, all that sort of stuff. And there's a percentage that goes back to the promotion, you know, the fun stuff and to keep, you know, operations running. And so you have, um, you know, that was like the territory pay structure uh, in the very broad strokes. Basically, you had a you had a you had a gate, and then you just divvy up the gate in certain, you know, pay categories that you're going to need. And so back then, you know, guys would like always ask like, "Oh, what was the gate?" And they would try to gauge off of what the gate was, how much they'd be getting paid that night. Um, and then, so that was territory, you know, pre-national expansion, like sort of pay structure. Then, you know, the post-national expansion pay structure, which we're talking about, you know, contracts and especially during like that stretch with WCW, um, in like the nineties, you have like guaranteed, you know, uh, like money basically. Cause WCW was funded by Turner Broadcasting, and they were able to guarantee wrestlers very large sums of money. Um, And I don't believe WWE was doing the downside guarantee at that time. I think that was the big 
sort of thing there. And now you have that in a lot of their contracts, which is like, if you don't make these certain amounts on live shows and uh, other events that they'll do, like TV tapings, then at the end of the year, you're, you have a downside guarantee, which the company will like in a big lump sum pay you uh, whatever you didn't get. You know, it, it's something like that. Now, all this sounds, you know, good, like, or it doesn't sound too outlandish too, because <laughs> it doesn't sound too outlandish or crazy, like, they're getting cheated and all that stuff, because, you know, you got to think too, these are like million dollar contracts, you know, several hundreds of thousands of dollars type deals, and it's for like three years, maybe on the short side. I think the shortest contract I've seen is like six months, you know, that's been put out publicly. Um, so like you're getting like these sort of long-term contracts and they'll sign you and, you know, they'll pay you all this money. Um, the issue with a lot of this stuff though, is like, they're even, even, you know, going from like, the national expansion sort of era. So like that early eighties on to like, even the current day wrestlers have run into this weird sort of situation where like, technically they're not employees. So there's a number of benefits that they just don't get, or they're not like mandated to get. Um, and like also when it comes to things like retirements and stuff like that, they're not necessarily like mandated to be given those sort of things. Insurances are not mandated to be given those sort of things. It's basically like if you can't work, then you're sort of out of luck. And mind you, like we're talking about a sport, you know, or, or, or a physical athletic, you know, sort of industry that like injuries happen, you know, and they can happen pretty frequently, especially with how a lot of the, uh, the guys work these days. Like your schedule is like night in, night out. You're flying here, you're flying there. And then you're taking these really dangerous, like bumps for, you know, less and less people. It's just, I'm not gonna say it's a dangerous situation, but it's a situation where you're not guaranteed a lot. Um, in the event that things go wrong and they kind of have a high chance of things going wrong. Um, just especially with like how wrestling is now, you know, back in the day wrestling, even though like people might say it's boring or all these sorts of things, or, or, you know, they were doing crazier stuff then too. Like wrestlers weren't doing wrestlers weren't doing these crazy sort of bumps. Like, falling off, you know, several feet from the air on, like, a nightly basis. You know, they, they were doing all this hardcore, you know, barbed wire and thumbtacks type stuff, you know, on, like, almost uh, once a month type deal. Like, their focus was working safe and, you know, making the, the things they do look good and look real and look hard but still finding a way to have them not actually hit as hard as they look, you know? And mind you, they did that 
while also trying to maximize the amount of money they got. So, like, it was just a different mindset completely of, like, instead of putting on the best performance and, and you know, people worrying about uh, how they'll be reviewed by critics, they were worried about, well, how can we get the biggest gate and how can I do moves that look appealing, look spectacular, but I can control to a degree that, you know, ensure safety for me and the person I'm working with, you know, um, that's slightly getting off on a tangent, but this is all to say that if there was a group of people who needed a union, probably it would probably be wrestlers. Cause again, not employees, they're really at the behest of the promoter. And this is even before the national expansion, um, wrestlers for as long as there've been promotions, have really kind of been at the will of the promoter. You know, they, they've kind of just been at the, I'm trying to think of a way to say it to really, you know, punctuate it. But like, whatever the promoter, whatever the promoter said kind of went. And whatever the promoter did, they just had to deal with. And during the territories, it wasn't as bad because you still had options. You could go different places. But now with the WWE being the only big national company offering money that, you know, you could live on, um, it kind of leaves it to where, like, you don't really have those options anymore. And they have a pseudo-monopoly because technically there are other companies and you could go work for them and you could work a hectic schedule where you're working with three different companies at the same time, you know, stuff like that. You could make it happen. But also, it, it's it's almost impossible to do it with one company. It's almost impossible to duplicate, you know, the kind of pay and the kind of uh, structuring that WWE would give you in any of these other places, you know. And I say this too now with a place like AEW being a thing, um, that's the new... TNT wrestling or TBS wrestling, whatever. Um, I say that without being a thing now currently too, is like, you just wouldn't, you would not have the same amount of money and security from WWE with these other companies. So again, um, and that being the case that like, you wouldn't get that same sort of security. They, the promoter limits you and like, a lot of the stuff you do in WWE especially has been the big one now. We're like, they're limiting third-party contact for their uh, wrestlers. So, like, this is a big situation. You had a number of wrestlers under contract who did things like Twitch streaming and, uh, like, third-party stuff like Cameo and, you know, just these little third-party projects that the wrestler themselves ran by themselves. And WWE swooped in and said, you can't do this unless we get a cut of what you're doing. You know, and mind you, they didn't start these things. WWE did not start their their platform on these other, uh, you know, sites. But they said, we're going to come in and, you know, we're going to take the stuff you've worked this hard on and the stuff that you did independently of us, we're going to take it because we own you. And that's how it's going to be. 
and obviously, you know, a lot of these wrestlers don't have room to argue this because if they try, then they're fired. Like, it, there is no room for them to really try to combat this um, without threat of losing their job, you know, before they're successful. And for a lot of them, that's devastating because, like most entertainers, they live paycheck to paycheck the same way that, you know, the common man might. <clears throat> Their paycheck just happens to be a lot larger than ours. Uh, but they're still living in that same sort of job-dependent situation. You know, and again, this is why I, I say and I've been alluding to and I've been explicitly stating in the moments where I'm not alluding to it, this is why they need a union of some sort. Because you need that sort of ability to set the ground rules so that a promoter now is not just taking complete advantage of you. You know, especially now, again, like WWE, how they have complete control over what wrestling is here in the States. We need to ensure that, or wrestlers should want to ensure that they have the ability to, you know, group negotiate basic terms of service of how things need to be going down, how certain pay structures need to uh, be worked out so that they're not just left stranded in a moment of crisis. You know, especially, too, with the way WWE's been just dropping people off lately. They've been dropping, for the past couple of months, several in-ring talents and, you know, upper management people um, as if they're trying to get ready for some sort of big sale. You know, that's the rumor and innuendo and speculation and all that sort of stuff. That's what people think. But either way it goes, without WWE, what a lot of these in-ring people, or a lot of the talents, a lot of the uh, wrestlers, they don't have anything to really fall back on. And mind you, if they were just made employees, then you could argue like they would have things like retirement. They would have things like insurance. They would have all these sorts of things that they could walk away from or they would have at least had while they were working there uh, to make their situation less dire in the event that like they were injured while working there or they were let go, you know? And like with a union, the sort of idea is that in these sorts of events where they are making these big pushes to just let people go and maybe, you know, reorganizing the company for a sale or something like that. With the union, you could argue so that the wrestlers who are affected by it are just left behind, you know, with no leg to stand on. They have some ability to, you know, get paid out or have some sort of security after they're, you know, after they have been you know, fired from the company or whatever so that they can make adjustments in their life so they're not just left stranded. Um, and I know I've kind of just been repeating that point that, like, stop leaving the wrestlers stranded. But, like, that's a really big thing is, like, for a lot of wrestlers, there is no retirement. You know, there is no it, – it's, it's the life of an entertainer. We're like, it's good while you're doing it. But the second you stop, that's when you realize, you know, what you have. And what you have isn't really a lot. 
you know, and that's that's tough. And when it comes back to bringing this all the way back to uh, the broader workplace and, you know, for more common people, the yous and me's of the world, the Janes and the John Doe's, um, you realize that we're in a very similar situation with what are supposed to be stable jobs, you know, we're supposed to be the essential jobs even where the second you leave, you're less stranded and without insurance, without retirement, without basic assurances of, you know, if I leave this job, I can go somewhere else or I may be able to make some other situation uh, happen in the downtime while I'm looking for another job or I'm trying to make some bigger change. You know, this is my big reason again for why industries need certain unions versus just jobs, you know, or or just a certain business needs people unionized for that business. You need industry unions because not being able to move within the industry, let's say like, you know, automotive or something like that. If I work for Toyota and Toyota has a union, but say Ford doesn't, well, then that's an issue. Because then really, if I'm a Ford worker, I can't necessarily be guaranteed that, you know, if I leave my position, I'm going to be able to get to one of these other places without, you know, being in destitute for a while. And a lot of people can't afford to be in destitute for any period of time, uh, let alone if they have a family, you know, like this is a single person I'm talking about this hypothetical for, like... You can't necessarily be in that situation where you have to gamble between, you know, being in destitute for a little while versus making it happen. You know, you can't make that gamble. A lot of workers don't aren't able to afford that. Uh, and especially, let's say someone gets sick or something like that, like the worker gets sick or the worker gets injured in some sort of way, then you really can't afford to make that gamble. Um, and you will quite possibly, if not most certainly, be in that situation where you're forcibly removed from whatever position you're at because there was no protection. Versus the Toyota worker here in this situation where if they became sick or infirmed or wanted to look for something different, they might have the cushion now and the leverage because they have at least the union in their business or or at, at Toyota so that they can navigate some things and maybe not have to worry. Um, but the idea with like a whole industry, you know, sort of union is that it makes that period of, let's say I want to go work for Ford or Toyota or Nissan or something like that. I want to go work for them. A union for the industry could argue for, yeah, if that person wants to make these transitions, then they, sh- they can basically have the freedom to do it, you know, instead of being scared that they might not have enough, uh, they might not be able to cover, like, essential needs of life, like medicine or something like that, or, or let's say they got sick again, like, that's, that's my go-to is, like, you got sick, it wasn't your fault, it's not like you're choosing to leave, you might have just been forced out, um, you can have a union argue that like because they have been forced out or because they have left for this time 
or they've been unable to work. They've left the workforce. They've been unable to work. That like you can compensate for that for a portion, or you can give them some sort of like preferential look and hiring back into that industry because they're already somebody familiar with the industry. You know, that would sort of be the idea. And then you can't punish people if they want to make these moves and adjustments. Like these are all sorts, sort of the things that like protect the worker from the industry or protect the worker from the individual companies really that would look to manipulate them to get them to work for cheaper and to pigeonhole them and keep them at the certain job that they're working at, you know, having like experience be transferable over to other jobs. Like if I worked 50 years on the line or not 50 years, but like 20 years on the line in one place, that should be able to transfer over to my ability, maybe applying as a manager at another place, you know, but there are companies that will just look at you and say, that's nice. And you're going to go right back on the line in another place because that's the starting position or whatever. But my knowledge, my skill is transferable. Why can't, you know, it, it should be a, an industry union in this hypothetical what's would, make it so that an employer would have to recognize that and take it into consideration and make it like basically make it so that they can apply for that job because they have that experience um, and not have it be sort of, sort of like a discriminating factor that, oh, it wasn't with us, so we're not going to really count it or we're not going to acknowledge it. Um, uh, an employee should be able to argue for pay based off of that kind of experience too. So just saying, no, this is our starting and this is our entry. This is what it is. They should be able to argue that with my experience, uh, the starting should be more for me because that's, I have the experience and comparable, you know, knowledge to back up my skill and therefore you should compensate me as that asset and that, you know, you should compensate me because I am an asset. That's what I'm trying to say. You know, so in the, that's talking about the broader range again. This is the macro talk of what, how the worker and a worker and a union for workers in an industry would function, you know? And so, again, we're going to go back from the macro to wrestling or, or, yeah, from the macro to the wrestling and kind of keep going to elaborate how with a union in wrestling, what this would effectively do. uh, And right to like, this is the other part. So I've heard this being discussed. And it's like, you can't really have a union for wrestling because the other promotions, like as an industry, you can't have it because other promotions aren't on this big national level. You know, they're smaller. And so therefore, like, it's sort of like the, you got to treat them like a mom and pop. And like, obviously they can't meet the same criteria as these other, you know, bigger promotions. And that's absolutely true. In that sense, no, I would say you can't, but 
there needs to be a union. This is what I would do. You start the union in the WWE and you expand it. As say, like you get the AEWs and you know the Impact Wrestlings and the Ring of Honors, even as you get these companies or these promotions moving to a bigger national or um, international sort of uh, not. I mean, because it's not about the viewership, which is what I was gonna say. Is you get like their international viewership, but as they grow to that scale and start making that sort of, you know, money and size, then that's how you would end up expanding it. So that basically it's like wrestlers who get put on wrestlers who get put on like TV or streaming um, wrestlers like of national companies, basically, or, or large, larger scale promotions like that. They would have their own union, you know? Like, or they would qualify for the union. Almost like a SAG thing where, like, not every actor can just be in SAG. You have to, like, qualify um, in some sort of way. Which is funny to even mention SAG. SAG was what Jesse Ventura got into after they failed. After, basically, they, they, they foiled his plan of making a wrestler's union. Jesse Ventura got in the SAG off of Predator and some other Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. And was like, if y'all don't want a union, that's fine. I got mine now. And so I think wrestling could do something very similar, especially with how, again, like the production of it now was closer to a TV show than ever, or closer to like a movie set with the multiple takes and the cinematic matches and, you know, the production value and level. Absolutely, you can start making the argument that, yeah, we need some you know, SAG-inspired, SAG-adjacent, you know, union for wrestlers. Um, that would that would be my argument, at least. And then, again, with that progression of, like, you start with the WWE, because that's your biggest company, and that is the best place to argue for that. And then slowly you get wrestlers from other promotions to just join in. And then you're able to broaden... You know, the union from just being the WWE, you know, wrestlers union to the national, you know, the nationally seen wrestlers union or whatever, the national wrestlers union or whatever, you know, that would be the ultimate sort of goal to sort of have there. Um, and you do things like you're able to set up retirements, you're able to set up different funds, um, you're able to help older wrestlers and retirees, you know, sort of like re-contribute back into wrestling in some sort of way. And it helps to bolster up the industry and the integrity of the industry, keeping it from collapsing one day, maybe. Um, that's how this, you know, industry union could work. And also what I think it'll end up doing too on the on the flip side of this is pushing more of these worker co-op sort of ideas of like everybody in everybody in this is like a member or not a member but an owner of this promotion and while you might elect certain people like so not everyone can be the matchmaker you know booker not everyone can be the person who does payroll but 
you can establish the basic like pay disparity you know the top person can only get paid so much versus what the rest of the people get paid you know that sort of thing you can set that sort of pay disparity um especially now because like cats out the bag on or the cat is so out the bag on like yeah like the wins and losses don't really matter um quote unquote because obviously public perception like is still strong enough to where like yeah you see a guy win so many times you're gonna think he's the better dude even though you know like it's not a real fight everything's predetermined or the finishes are predetermined you know you still know subconsciously subliminally even that like yeah the guy winning is the better guy you know or he's the the top guy you still get things like that and so but for like the guys in the company you know for for the boys and stuff like that they shouldn't have these huge pay disparities because they've been jobbed out so many times or you know they they've been forced to lose so many times or they've been given some dumb gimmick you know like the red rooster there you go great wrestler horrible gimmick um and and that's the fault of the promoter and the booker and the creative uh that's their fault you know so why would you damn your workers for that by paying them so dramatically less if they've been put into that position you know that's why again worker co-op the sort of worker co-op idea i think will start to come up more as these union um as a sort of union push kind of happens too i think it's going to be a twofold thing of like we've set up these unions they've lasted for so long now a bunch of the boys that have been retired or out the game and who have maybe been you know helping train some of these younger dudes or, or they see that there is a new crop of guys coming up they get together and they you know start doing maybe their own training school because that's something they could do and then that has smaller shows that run um or maybe they start a rival promotion to a bigger national company it's just that the way they've decided to structure their company is just different you know like the optics of how the company would be presented is one thing but what the company internally is doing is what we're kind of trying to focus on and so with saying all that that's you know the wrestling side and so we'll take it from there and go back to the macro i think that with the push of these unions or with the push of industry unions, that is where you will start to see again, later down the line, more worker co-ops because people will start to have that autonomy, workers will have that autonomy. And I mean, I see it now that the more security you give a worker, the more likely you are to see an entrepreneur too. Cause now they know they have the security in one thing, they can do their other ventures. They can turn these hobbies into businesses and stuff like that. And so in saying that, now you start getting guys who, because they've been in the union together, because they've been in that same industry, now they come together and do their own, you know, worker co-op, keeping that same sort of union structured. But instead of having to have the union and the company, you have merged both the structure of the union into the company. You know, that sort of democratic system of like, oh, we can all vote on maybe who's in certain positions, 
the basic financial disparity between the top person or the highest position and the lowest, you know, position like a like a straight laborer versus like the person uh, who ca- who signs the checks and all that. You can set what will be the greatest disparity between that. You can set how much as a group you want to delegate to salaries versus to going back into the company. You know, it's this sort of uniting of these sort of democratic ideals with like the workplace, basically, Um, as some people call it, democratizing the workplace. You know, it's something that in a larger scale, if you get a strong enough industry union push, instead of just trying to fight for, you know, every job needs to have their own or every corporation needs to have an accompanying union. Like, no, where is the warehouse workers union? That's what I want. You know, where are the construction worker union, you know, uh, civil engineer union, like give me the industry. And then I want to see the union for it because now you have real control over the, the job market. Now you have real control. The people now have real control over the job market, you know, and then you don't have to have things where it's like the union president. You can have like a union board. You can have, you know, just to keep, just to eliminate and diminish as much of like unitary power in a given position as you can, you split it up amongst people. You split it up amongst, you know, checks and balances. And, And obviously this is easier said than done, but, you know, we have frameworks of countries like America, Sweden, uh, a lot of the other Scandinavian countries, Norway, Denmark, those countries have great union systems. America has at least the, you know, the foundations of a democracy that it can use. And there are principles within a number of the, you know, early American, uh, philosophers as, you know, they can be called where you can, you can sit down and, figure this one out. You can orchestrate people or you can orchestrate leaders, I should say, to sit down and figure out the game plan for like, this is what we need to do. And this is how we want to implement it. This is what we think is more on the right side. This is what we think isn't. And then obviously between every industry, you might have variety and variation. And then for every, you know, business or something like that, you might have variety and variation because you can break things up into smaller, you know, this is the union of, this is the warehouse unions, like smaller delegation for the Amazon, you know, company, you know what I mean? You can do things like that. And so that amount of variation too also gives, um, gives way for a more democratic process just because, you know, them being, them being super strict union wise on M in Amazon, because of how Amazon as a company works might be necessary. Let's say because you have so many people being really lenient in their union organization or their union regulations just aren't as they don't have to be as stringent for like another company. I don't know, uh, a Walmart or something like that, you know, that sort of variety that, that multiplicity basically allows for, democracy to function, you know, the broader you get 
right? Because you have these things uh, in these smaller scales, you have them focusing on the problems related to that thing. Like, let's say Amazon's problem was like uh, poor plumbing in all their warehouses. So like they demand certain regulations for that. The union demands certain regulations uh, for that. You know, and maybe that's not an issue over here at Walmart, but they have another thing where it comes to electricity. Okay, this, that, and the other. We're talking to all the unions together for the warehouse union, and we're realizing that, oh, like maybe there's an infrastructure problem here that we need to just start addressing. So all of the the union organizes to push for just overall infrastructure uh, improvements, right? And you're pressing that upon all these different companies. Um, and that's going to force them to acquiesce in some sort of way. Or, or even you can push the legislators, you know, your congressmen of each state and on the national or, yeah, your congressmen of each state. And if, you, you know, you're pushing for national change so that the government can regulate that industry, the CEOs of that industry, um, right? An industry union gives you a counter to the CEO donor class, a direct counter to the CEO donor class that we just haven't had before, you know, or we haven't had in a long time. Right. And then in total, it goes to that, that sort of idea of like the working class pushing back against the donor class, you know, that sort of idea that with the total of all these people, they can push back against that minority of individuals that, you know, sort of rule over everybody and look to, you know, manipulate laws and stuff like that. Um, But you do it by like having the idea that you need industry control one, and you get that by in some instances, yeah, maybe you need to start one company by one company, you know, one at a time, one at a time, and then you, you or you know, you come together and galvanize all those unions so that they can all talk amongst themselves. And then even further, if you want to take it, maybe you get unions of other countries that do trade and commerce with your with your country. You talk with them, and you all make some sort of bigger, you know, global board. So that you can push on other countries or, or set standards or have extra funds and extra uh, ability to relieve workers in these smaller areas or in these more um, specific, you know, like strike incidences or, or things like that. You know, it's basically like not creating another government, but like creating another organizing structure to push back on the governments that when they're not trying to serve us. You know, when they're not trying to serve the workers. Um, On a macro scale, if I haven't lost everybody, I know I kind of rambled on that. That's what you're kind of looking at. Um, Flip back on the wrestling side, what you're kind of looking at is it's not going to be as expansive, probably. But, I mean, in a sense, it could be, too. Like, let's say you started with WWE and the workers there, they made a union. Okay, and then the next national company is, like, AEW. All right, now you're have an AW union or, or you had enough people from the WWE union, you know, just kind of expand it to start accepting these AW unions 
and fighting some of these cases with maybe like AEW's too oppressive on their workers or something like that. You know, too oppressive on the wrestlers there. Now you have a union that affects two of the biggest industry heads, you know, for wrestling. Um, and let's say if you want to go international, Japan has all Japan and New Japan uh, pro wrestling. Maybe you start expanding and pushing out that way. You know, wrestlers start communicating and wrestlers from out there, when they want to come work in the States, they come here and then they qualify to join the American Wrestling Union, uh, American Pro Wrestling Union. And then maybe that American Pro Wrestling Union decides to expand even more and become Global Wrestling Union or something like that. And all these previous incarnations are not just subdivisions of what this greater union is. So Global Wrestling Union has a lower ring that's just American, just Japan, just this, that, and the other. And then that has company-specific unions because it's made of those members, you know, the members of these greater unions are made up of people from these companies. So they talk together and they bargain together and say, this is how we want things to be structured. This is what we're demanding, Um, you know. And then this is all to say, too, like, for wrestling, uh, I think you got to make it clear, like, this is to say, like, this isn't talks about like creative control type stuff. This is talks about like financial structuring. Like you're not cheating me out of, you know, money. Um, I'm able to do third party deals. I'm able to like do my independent stuff. Like, and it's also like, maybe I want to defend myself from getting like buried and you devaluing me because I want to move to another company like that. That should be a big thing that, you know, wrestlers can work in there. Um, and in that sense, that might get into creative control. But, like, because everyone's of this industry, too, you have to realize that maybe, or not even maybe, but you have to realize that that gives people who might look at, like, people in the union who look into this, the insight to be like, well, maybe, or, <clears throat> like, I don't agree that, you know, that should be the thing that we do. Because now we're starting to, you know, they can check precedent as they see fit or as, you know, they want to because they'd have the better insight to do so, you know, versus like some court case happening and then bam, you know, every wrestler is now mandated to have full creative control over their, you know, storylines that they're involved in and stuff like that. And then it destroys kind of like what a booker is and what that position is, you know, or what a matchmaker is or, you know, things like that. Like it destroys what that is and that ultimately, you know, destroys the integrity of the, the kind of company, the idea with like an industry union would also be that like there are certain things particular to every industry, in this case wrestling, that the members of this union would understand. And because you're able to make votes on certain things, because you're able to, you know, delegate and deliberate on certain things that you can tell someone who may have issue and wants to bring it up, like this is what the union will back you with is what we're not for X, Y, and Z reason. And let's say you want to challenge the union on that. Then like you talk to your other fellow union members and you challenge it and you see, you know, how things work and, and what happens, you know, but it's the union will give you that space. And then ultimately will give you the support that they're going to deem fit based off of what the criteria of that situation is, if that makes sense, you know, that would kind of be the benefit of that. Um, 
like a union for the WWE situation, I, I'm thinking right now uh, of them stealing the third party stuff, basically. It's like a union would argue that, you know, no, you can't steal this third party stuff. Um, yes, you may have given that the character the name in the platform to get famous, but obviously these fans are still coming for that individual. So, no, you cannot just take all this of them, especially if they did it of their own volition um, and separate of WWE influence. Like, these people are coming for this character that this person portrays, you know, or this persona that this person portrays, right? Just because y'all made it does not mean y'all... Just because you made it and just because you own the name does not mean you are the driving force of the attraction for this person, for this character. And therefore, like, if this individual is profiting it outside of that capacity, outside of the the storylines and all that kind of stuff, then, you know, how how can you say that that is 100% yours, right? That's like an actor like a... George Clooney, like, he doesn't own Batman. But if people like him because he was Batman, you know, and he still, you know, his face gives off that persona of the Bruce Wayne, like, then, well, what are you going to do? You know, Warner Brothers can't take his money because he's done all these other things. And, like, he he should still be able to say, I'm Batman, you know, because he was. He was Batman. You know, obviously, he is not in storyline. He's not doing the things right there but he's famous for doing that you know like these wrestlers like a like a john morrison right john morrison is not doing the storyline at when he's on twitch he's not doing you know he's not wrestling when he's on twitch or something like that but people know him as john morrison they know him as a wrestler and they like the persona of john morrison um that he has to portray and he has to physically do, like it is him creating and fleshing that out every time he steps out there even if he's given you know sort of prompts and things to say a script even he is still the one that has to perform that persona and so therefore how are you going to be able to take money off of his you know off of the how are you going to be able to take money out of his wallet based off of his ability to, you know, embody that persona and people's reaction to that. How are you going to take money from him for doing that? You know, because you are in charge, like, it's not WWE who gave him the ability to, you know, basically be good at at portraying the persona. They gave him maybe the name of the persona and the, the basic outline, but John Morrison still is the person who has to go out there and actively do it and people like him for doing it. You know what I mean? You can't just give the name John Morrison to another person. They're going to know it's not the original, but that's also kind of where WWE wants to get is where the gimmick, the name can just be transferable person to person so that, you know, one day we have a Shawn Michaels, and now we have a new Shawn Michaels, and we call him Shawn Michaels. You know, that that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't, that does not make any sense for the wrestlers. That doesn't make any sense for.
for the fans. But for WWE, that makes perfect sense for their pockets. You know, that's kind of the situation you're in. And that's why a union is a necessity because they're going to be the ones to make that argument that just because you can copy and paste the name and the gimmick doesn't mean you're going to be able to copy and paste me and my ability to get you the money. You know, it's not the persona. It's the person portraying it. That's getting them the money and the revenue and getting the fan base and following. And because they're the person, because they have that skill of portraying it, they should be able to do third party things with that ability. Right. If they couldn't do third party things, that'd be like telling an actor that because you are famous for this role and everybody knows that you are this person, you know, or, or you have been this character like Keanu Reeves and John Wick. That's another good one. Everybody knows Keanu Reeves and John Wick, you know, but the studio who produces John Wick can't sue Keanu Reeves because everyone loves Keanu Reeves being John Wick. Even if they call him John Wick in public or, or in other things, you know, you, you shouldn't be able to sue Keanu Reeves or, or take money from Keanu Reeves just because they're calling him that. Obviously, he is not portraying that character in your universe. But this person is that character, you know? So because they are that per- because they are that character, of course, that is then going to be transfer- transferable to other things, you know? And so that's my sort of idea. It's like, you can't damn them for that. You shouldn't be able to take money away from them for that. Um, you know, that's almost like how Warner Brothers straight up took Prince's name. You know, like, that's wrong. <laughs> In so many words, that's wrong to do. You should not be able to just purchase someone's identity, right? And you can argue that, you know, in the Prince situation, Warner Brothers promoted Prince and produced Prince's albums. So therefore, they have claim to the name of Prince. Absolutely fine, but Warner Brothers is not Prince, right? Warner Brothers is not that entity or that persona, and they're not the person with the skill to perform said persona in whatever they may do, sing or dance or, you know, in this case, wrestle for the wrestling analogy, um, right? You know, WWE made The Undertaker, but Mark Calloway is The Undertaker, you know? And so if Mark Calloway goes somewhere, he is known as The Undertaker, regardless if the WWE owns name or not. Right. And because he had the ability to do that, like it was his ability of performing that it was his ability of wrestling. If he decides to go wrestle and if he decides to be, you know, to redo that gimmick, you know, in in a world where he left WWE and could still wrestle. um, Right. How could you kind of damn him for that in the sense that like too? Let's say he didn't want to wrestle, and let's say he didn't work for WWE anymore. Sure, he might not be able to use the name uh, The Undertaker, but, or, no, let's say he still works for WWE, and he's no longer wrestling. He's doing, like, a third-party thing, like, say, like, a cameo or something like that. Why does he have to give up some of his stuff if they are not producing it in any sort of fashion? They're not, they're not giving 
any sort of extra help to him in promoting his material or anything like that. They're they're not helping Undertaker out with you know his third party endeavors, you know. And like to that point, I guess I could give like if he's using the name The Undertaker. Um, sure, you know you you pay some sort of fee because you're still using the name that they have license and, and credit to, but that should not be you know. That should not be so great and limiting to the rest of everything else they're doing. And they shouldn't have the ability to stop you from being able to do said service, right? Because, like, there were a number of these wrestlers, too. They weren't even using their wrestling names. Like, they were using their straight-up real government names, you know, and sort of the idea, like, uh, also known as or, or, you know, formerly known as or on TV as, you know, such and such name, Paige or... Uh, 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 the, who, who else? It was somebody. There, there, were, there were actual people. I just can't remember all their names. I know Paige might have been one of them. Uh, there was some other chick uh, or female superstar who was in this, and she refused to, you know, let them interfere with her third-party stuff and more power to her. That's sort of the idea, though, is that, like, sure, I will give up, like, can't use the name that's fine but you can't if i'm still under your contract if i'm an employee of your company you can't limit my ability to do these third-party things especially if i'm not using your name i'd make the argument that you shouldn't be able to do it if i'm using your name and i still work for you but you're not producing anything and it's all my original content i'd argue that they should be able to be able to do that too but even if i gave up that argument and started saying like no, they should be able to do the content, you know, they should be able to do the content, um, even though they may have to pay some amount or they just can't use the name licensed by whatever company, that's fine, but you can't stop them from doing the content. You know what I mean? It is just, you know, that, that is the key situation of that screams for a union because there's no one to advocate for you right now. You can't do it because you're going to get fired, right? And then even if you pulled up some sort of lawsuit, they'll just say it's in your contract and it's legally binding, blah, 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 this, and the other, and you don't have the money to argue that fight. But with an industry union, you can come at them with the full force of the union and their backing and their money and get the support of other uh, people in your industry to push the company to say, no, this is what our industry is doing now. This is what we deem as, you know, okay and acceptable. And you as the employer need to comply with this, you know? And the mm -hmm. events where the union can't get it out of just the, the company or the CEO, the union needs to get it out or make, the union needs to enforce it with legislation. That's how I would say that. In the event where the union can't get the request from the company that they want, you know, through the benevolence of the company, you need to push it and, you know, make the authority of the government force them to do the right thing. You know, it's, it's just, it is what the government is there for. The people basically using their collective power to ensure that things happen to ensure their safety.
you know, and again, that's the, I made the jump from wrestling to the macro level with that, but that that's, you know, sort of my spiel on that. Um, and also again, why I think like, or why I'd hope that with this union push and with people seeing that they can have, you know, a democratized um, system adjacent to the workplace, that, that encourages them to bring it into the workplace. You know, that encourages them to have it be intrinsic to the structure of the place that they're, you know, working at. You know, to me, it makes perfect sense uh, of how you would make that jump from one system to the other. But I know, like, realistically, that's a difficult thing to do, especially with the way that they're stopping what I'm calling the first step, which is just getting the unions to, you know, start. You know, all the propaganda on union unionization, all the overt efforts to shut down unions, it's leaving people in a real hard situation, workers in a real hard situation, to where starting union isn't that easy. Starting union is virtually impossible. Um, and it's it's terrible and it's sad. And then it's only probably going to get harder with you know the Silicon Valley uh, authoritarian takeover, basically over, you know, media and information and stuff like that, where they'll probably limit your ability to even talk about these sort of things, which used to sound like an outlandish thing to say, but really isn't with the way that you have politicians asking for more censorship from, uh, straight from the companies, you know, at their own discretion. And the way you see people getting banned off the internet, left and right off these bigger platforms that are really should be seen as public utilities of communication more than a business, you know, more than just some private business where, you know, whoever owns it has the ability to say what they want to say, you know, or, or do what they want to do with, you know, the confines of their company that that works for like some companies, but in the situation where your company runs globally billions now of people talking back and forth, sharing ideas, sharing information, that's no longer just a company. That's a public utility. Now that's a public uh, asset for information trading, right? And that shouldn't be governed with that same idea of like it's somebody's private corporation. That now has to be governed with the idea that it needs to ensure, you know, public rights and and the public's, you know safety to express what they want to express just as if it was a you know a, a public square or town square or something like that youtube is a new town square you know twitter is a new town square and sadly we're asking them to censor more and that ultimately will be more effective than blatant propaganda probably because instead of saying no this is wrong this is bad you're just not saying anything at all, you know, instead of saying unions are bad for the worker, we can just stop talking about unions. That's a scary situation to get into. That's a scary situation we're headed to. Um, I mean, this kind of off track about the talks of just, you know, wrestlers and unions and 
how wrestling needs a union, but in truth, it, it, it still kind of goes with it. We're like, the thing that killed, you know, the union in WWE starting with Jesse Ventura <laughs> was somebody talking, you know, Hulk Hogan, write him out. And then once Vince, Vince McMahon heard about it, he stopped all talking about unions around that time and, and from there on. And then people seeing that and hearing that situation, you get them sort of uh, uh, dissuaded. You know, they're, they're no longer even interested in the prospect of a union because they know, oh, it's not going to happen. You know, they get disinterested and, and they, they take on this sort of defeated um, persona, now, or not persona, but this sort of defeated mindset. Because, yeah, the our union attempt just failed. We've been beaten. You know, that's media control right there uh, within one company. The authority said, you know, set the precedent for... Uh, you know, there there will be serious ramifications for people talking about these sort of ideas. So don't talk about them. That's directly media, and that's a direct ripple through the effectiveness of whatever cause you're fighting for, in this case, a union. But let's say it's a policy on the macro scale. Let's say it's a policy, you know, or, or, or let's say it's uh, something like a health care or free college or something like that. You know, government says no. You know, people in the government, president, they say, no, we felt it a number of times. You know, people who advocate for those things, we felt it where you get that wave of defeatedness. Because now, you know, the people who have the power to do it, they don't want it. They don't want to do it for you. They don't want to, they don't agree and they will not, they will actively fight against you to have it not happen. You know, that's the power of media. And that is equally as harmful um, as, you know, that active no is equally as harmful as the silence that that no brings, you know, that the silence and the, you know, defeated mindsets that come after that initial no from the authority is equally as harmful. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, in, in short to, you know, this is probably going to be a shorter episode, but in short, to wrap it all up, the the ideas I want people to walk away with from this one um, are basically one, look at, look at any given industry, okay? Or look at any given company. Ask yourself, what industry are they in? You know, for Amazon, <coughs> for Amazon, you know, it, it's the warehouse businesses and stuff like that um labor like the physical labor aspect of like you know all those people the warehouses and the drivers and and uh i'm sure there's more i'm not thinking about pilots and stuff like that too for across state stuff you know those are just three warehouse drivers pilots okay you know is there a union a commerce union for pilots or a a Commerce Pilots Union, there you go. Uh, warehouse Worker slash Factory Worker Union 
you know, those sorts of things like, uh, is there a driver's union? You know, UPS, they have one. Um, but how can maybe we get somebody like, like UPS, how can we get their people to expand over so that we can cover, you know, Amazon's workers? And then how can we get both of them to talk? That's what I want to know. You know, how can we get the union leaders of different company unions to talk when they share industries together? Or especially when they share industries together. But even if they don't, even if the companies, you know, are maybe like Amazon and uh, Walmart, they're just two really large uh, employers of American workers. How can we get them? How can we get unions uh, for those two companies to talk to each other? Because then that would create a union for American labor, you know, just blanket union for American labor. Or union for, you know, or the union of uh, laborers of large corporations. Like, that would be the sort of idea that I would want. Because once you have something like that, that's when you can start moving to these conversations of, like, how do we regulate the industry? What, what can the people do to regulate the industry? Like, how can we push the government to say, look, we need these regulations right now, right? If we're just company, if we're just people fighting companies, that can only take us so far. We need to be people who can bargain with the government just the way that these, you know, CEOs can pay them. We need to be able to remove our labor from not just one company, but from the industry and say, we're not helping the industry at all. We will let that industry die here in America if we're not, you know, compensate it correctly. Because in reality, that's what should happen. People need to focus on the worker sovereignty. You should not feel bad. You should not feel any sort of way because you want a certain quality uh, of, you know, a certain quality in your workplace. You know, you want to be paid a certain amount. That's perfectly fine because that company said they needed you to be, uh, to work. You know, they put out an ad saying, please apply or apply now job wanted that means they had a demand to fill and you were just so kind enough to oblige you know that's the kind of ideas that workers need to go in their heads with um is that yeah you as the worker are helping the company by fulfilling that role okay they say you're dis- you're dispensable you, you can be thrown away you can be replaced at any moment fine. That's absolutely right. And so can you, I can go find another job because if all of you have that mindset, that means all of these people will hire me and I'll help this company while you find somebody who, you know, how, how you may or may not find somebody to work for you at that wage. I will go find another company that will pay me a better wage and maybe have better hours, better benefits, all these sorts of things that would make it more enticing for me as a worker to work there because they value me more than you value me as a worker, you know, uh, just to wrap up the episode kind of and go make, take it a little more personal. This is something I recently just had to go through with my job. So I'm sure I mentioned in the last episode, but I got a job with uh, Burlington or an episode or two. I got a job with, you know, Burlington Coke factory. I was getting paid $14 an hour. And I knew that coming from UPS, 
getting paid fourteen dollars an hour that that was like a lateral move and really it was a downward move because I had less hours so I was making less money in total you know than what I would have been making at UPS and so the idea that I knew was that whatever my next jump was for my job it had to be an upward jump I couldn't keep making lateral jumps because eventually you do get those downward shots so I had to make an upward jump meaning I, I need to get paid more and so my goal was $16 or, or really it was anywhere from 15 to 17. So 16 was right in the middle. And this job that I'm going to get now is going to be 16 and I'm going to be working. I'll be working less days, but I'll still keep the same comparable amount of hours. That's completely fine with me. But what it also does is that's an upward elevation. You know, that that's, upward movement for me economically you know because now this new job i'm going to be paid 16 dollars um and i'm working three days weekends but versus what i was i was working four days at my other job or at burlington i was working four days and then at a what was what's it called ups i was working five days I should be making more money working my three days at this job for 16 than I was even at UPS working five days for $14. I think that's, that is the ultimate goal here as workers. Um, and I think that is the ultimate like personification of what we need to be pushing for when it comes to worker sovereignty is the ability to do that. The ability to, work at so at one place and the second a job is offering you something better if the job that you're working at isn't going to try to compensate you better because they value you as a worker then get your stuff get on out and get to the other job because they're going to pay you more meaning ultimately that they value you more that's literally what that means um and on top of valuing you more it for everybody, it's different. But for me, things like hours and stuff like that fall into consideration. You know, because it's not just about getting a job and then working all the hours you possibly can. That's not, that is not, you know, worker sovereignty. The idea is to be able to get the hours you want, you know, and get the pay you want, uh, all the benefits you need. And not being trapped at that place ultimately at the end of the day, right? Being able to do that, get all those needs met, and then working there. And the second that you get something better or a better offer comes your way, you can pack it up. And if the job you're working at isn't going to increase, you know, what they're compensating you with, then, you know, for whatever reason, sometimes the business just can't do it. That's fine. That happens. But in saying that, that isn't on me as the worker that's on them as the business and i'm gonna go with where the better job is simple as that that is worker sovereignty a worker feeling confident enough to go to where the better job is and being assured that they don't have to be subservient to any sort of you know workplace or type of job or anything like that they have the freedom and autonomy to do these things 
um, without serious detriment to their, you know, their way of life or their quality of living, I should say. You know, they're not going to go into destitute because this job wasn't paying them anything and they decided to go get another one, you know, and, and they got some sort of ramification. Like they got fired because they had to miss a day or they, they got paid less because they had to miss a day. It's that that's absolutely ridiculous. Workers should be able to go look out for the job they want because that's them being proactive and trying to get more money, trying to advance, trying to work, you know, that's them doing their job in the economy, not just at the workplace, but in their economy, that's them doing their job. They're trying to find the optimal work for the things that they need in life. But yeah, that that's the thing I'd want people to work away with, walk away with workers, sovereignty, um, industry unions to push for greater union talk and hopefully uh, more worker co-ops and things like that. Because the more you democratize the workplace, the more you increase worker sovereignty and the more you allow people to have social mobility. You know, and I use the analogy of wrestling because, quite frankly, them boys need it. They they need a union like fire needs, you know, or like California needs water. That's even better than what I was going to say. Um, and with that, thank you guys for listening this long. Uh, I know I rambled on quite a bit and I ranted quite a bit too, but that's the name of the game here at this, the populist report. I hope everyone has a great one and I'll catch you next week on Sunday with the next episode.